Emily, Emily, what are you doing? I'm drinking some poly juice potions so I could look like Brenna for the podcast. No, Emily, that's just that's just old milk. That's some real. You don't need that, baby. Don't need that. Quit drinking. Look, just say, just say it's fun fiction. Okay, it's fun fiction. <laughs> Welcome to Fun Fiction, ladies and gentlemen, the weekly show about movies, media, and how the internet ruins it. I am your host, Scotty Moore, joined as not always. How dare you stand where she stood? It's Emily. Hi. So, before the show, you did discuss how you you really feel like Harry from this this movie. Yeah, I've just kind of been thrust into this with no experience. I'm kind of underqualified. Now, like Harry, does that mean you're going to cheat at everything during this? I'm going to do my best. I mean, I'm just... Harry literally cheated at every event he possibly could. Oh, I mean, he had to. He was extremely underqualified. It was cheat or die. Yeah, but even then, it does feel a little like... Because the movie does present it as like, Harry did it! He's so amazing! I'm like, that son of a bitch cheated! Wait... Remind me how he cheated. Uh, well, firstly, cheated by apparently also stealing Gillyweed from Snape to use. He didn't steal it. Okay, that's even worse. That means he's a silent standbyer who didn't say anything when someone stole something for him. And then, uh, what was the... I've already... It's been so long, and I'm not gonna lie, this is the first thing I've ever watched on Fun Fiction, where I was like, I need a drink halfway through it. But, uh, what was the first event? Um, the first event... I'm trying to remember. Because he fights Dolphin. Oh, yeah, it was was the, uh, dragons. The dragons. Yeah, halfway through that, I I have quarrels with that, because I feel like there should be, like, a field of play... That Harry definitely went out of in that first moment. Well, I mean, he kind of had to. The dragon got loose. Well, does it... Okay, because you read the book. I did not read the book. Yeah. Do the other competitors leave the field? It doesn't say, actually, because, like in the movie, it just shows Harry kind of waiting in the tent and listening to the audience. the worst. I'm not gonna lie, there was a point during this film where, and this is how I realized I'm growing old, is I was just like, I really wish this was just like The Office, but with the Hogwarts, with like, teachers, because I don't give it, the kids are the worst, man. How are they the worst? All of the kids are the worst. You got Cheat and Harry, you got Ron, who, the only way I was able to enjoy Ron during this movie was by coming up with my own fan theory that over the summer he became a raging alcoholic. What? Because, like, like the first scene you see him, he's just like, why, you didn't put your name, why are you in the tournament, you piece of shit? And then every time he sees Harry after that, it's just more drunk anger. Like, no, you piece of garbage. I don't really think it was escalating so much as it was showing more and more. Like, you can see, as soon as his name's get selected, Ron just looks over and he has, like, the biggest eat crap and die look on his face. Like, you are not supposed to be there. How did you manage to do this? You're already the boy who lived. Just 
one thing. Just stay out of the spotlight for one year, Harry. Wait, so you're saying one of Ron's main jealous points is the fact that Harry lived. You should have died. We would have been best friends if you had died, but now you're famous and shit, Harry. No, he's just kind of fed up with it. I mean, that's kind of my experience watching the film as well, is I'm just kind of over Harry. I'm over Harry. After this film, I'm over with Ron. Hermione's alright. Hermione's pretty cool. Um, But yeah, I just want a movie with the teachers in it, and that's it. Like, a a half sitcom, and then half like that office sit-down interview style. So, like, it cuts, and then Snape is just like, Slughorn ate all of the... He ate all of the peanuts out of the vending machine again. I mean, I know I could just wizard up some, but, like, come on, man. And then it shows Hagrid walking through doors and, like, breaking them. I want that movie. But, no, we've got to deal with these annoying-ass kids. Except for Malfoy, who in this film was treated like a piece of shit, and it made me feel even worse for him than I already did. Oh, I mean, he kind of acts like one... He's not, though. Like, this film, he acted as he normally does, but instead of, like, getting the, well, don't do that, Malfoy, and then, like, getting the gentleness and kindness that he needs to grow as a person, this psycho motherfucker runs over and turns him into a ferret and then just starts beating him against the ground. Which I really don't understand, because it wasn't even Moody, it was Barty Crouch Jr. No, I'm aware of... Baby, I know who it was. You would think he'd be on the same side as Malfoy. No, I think I think he was still just like, no, your dad's a piece of garbage. Well, I mean, you gotta think, because, like, Malfoy wasn't caught, was he? As a Death Eater? Um, Lucius Malfoy Sr.? Yeah. I don't think he was caught by the Ministry of Magic, but, I mean, Harry and the crew knew what was up. Yeah, but, I mean, what I'm saying is, like, I don't think... I don't even think Barty Crouch knew that the Malfoys were in it. Uh, I think he did. Then I why think didn't Death he... Eaters knew the other Death Eaters? Then why didn't he say his name when he was on, uh, he was on trial? Because he was like, I know all their names. I'm the Doctor. I run through time and space. I don't know. Exactly, because he hates the Malfoy. He's afraid of the Malfoy. He's afraid of Malfoy Dad, and he wants to take it out on Malfoy Son. I mean, yeah, he could have his own separate beef with Lucius Malfoy. But. Yeah, so that's what it is. That's that's my little fan theory there. Also, I will say, I love the fact that since you're such a nerd with this film, you literally stopped me from starting the film, pause it, just to go like, you know he fucked that snake, right? <laughs> Like, I was like, um, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't need that for my fan art wall, but now apparently I do need David Tennant fucking a snake. No, David Tennant didn't do it, it was, uh, Wormtail. Oh, okay, so you're saying that Wormtail fucked a snake and David Tennant just got cuckolded and sat in the corner and was just watching him go at it. I don't know at what point he came back in. I think he realized that he was coming back and then he used that to escape from Azkaban. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that probably... There's a lot they don't cover in the movies, but I'm trying to remember from the last time I read the book. Yeah. And I will say, this is the first time with them that I wish I had read the book, because this is the first one that felt like not its own thing, but supplemental material to having read the book. Yeah. Because there are moments during it where they're just like, "If if I didn't already know Harry Potter lore and history... 
the scene where they're just like, I don't know if you had some sort of magic turnip that can make... I don't know why this is Harry's voice in my head. <laughs> I don't know, Mr. Snipe. Give me special powers. No, uh, the scene where he's like, if you have a turnip that can turn me into a fish or whatever, and he's like, well, there is gillyweed. And then the film doesn't explain it. It just cuts to Harry in front, and then all of a sudden he eats some green shit and then grows gills. I mean... Yeah, they did cut out a lot of it. Um, it doesn't help that in the book, uh, Neville wasn't even the one that gave him gillyweed. It was Dobby. Yeah. I feel like they just didn't want to pay the effects team to make Dobby again. That, and that's also, literally it. That's the only reason that Dobby wasn't in this one. And also because he's the worst. He's not the worst. He, I, Dobby's actually really cool after the first uh, appearance. Okay. Like, he gets clothes, he gets a job at Hogwarts... He starts wearing ties. Oh my god, wait, he becomes like a professional? Yeah, like he, the whole school is cleaned up and maintained by house elves, like they cook the meals and stuff. I thought you meant just like he was like an economics professor and he, like one day. No, he's not like a teacher, I mean he's, he's like a janitor. No, like one day he goes home and he like, he loosens his tie and he looks in the mirror he's like, Toby, what happened to you? You used to be such a happy, free-loving elf, but now you've become this corporate suit. Oh, dear. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff that gets left out with the house elves. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the year that Hermione started the SPEW. Yeah. And, uh, I really wish they had kept that in. Mm. I really do. Also, and we talked about this, but the fact that J.K. Rowling is not the best at action kind of confuses me as to why she wrote a whole story dedicated to action scenes. I don't know. Yeah, you're just like, I don't know. I feel like she had a she had something she had to do, maybe. I think like with the Quidditch and stuff, when she started writing the books, she had a point to it. And then it was like the movie started and she was like, I gotta quit doing this. Yeah. I gotta find a way to write this out. Yeah, when her, she was just like, why let's get rid of Quidditch, but let's do it in this big awesome tournament. And then have the black KKK come and destroy everybody. I really did like the uh, World Quidditch Cup, though. Oh, like the way they did in the film? Yeah. Oh, the way they do it in the film is awesome, because it's just this... Like, I want to take some old-school metal albums and put it over it. And then, like, like, the Dark Mark, which is just a skull with a snake slithering out of it. Which does feel a lot like J.K. Rowling was in her, like, room, like... All right, I've got to come up with something creepy. <laughs> All right, what's scary? Skeletons! Mm, that's not enough. What else is creepy? Snakes! Okay, let's put a snake coming out of a skull's mouth. You've done it again, JK! I really don't think that's how it went. Um, it makes sense that it's a snake coming out of the mouth. Don't. Don't start against my people again. I mean, all the Death Eaters are Slytherins except for maybe Wormtail. And Barty. Barty? What what house was Barty in? It's not confirmed, but a lot of people think Ravenclaw, so heh, take that. But it's not confirmed. Yeah, but it's not confirmed that he's Slytherin either, so you can't own it. <laughs> um, Man, this is the film where just everybody wants to fuck Harry, and it makes me really uncomfortable. I thought that was the next one. No, well, I guess this is the one where all the teen angst starts and yes. Ron starts becoming an alcoholic. Yeah. 
That was the part of the film. I think once the angst reached like level one hundred, which was probably around the uh, Yule. Is it the Yule Ball? Yeah. Around the Yule Ball scene where Hermione's, like, just trying to go on her date with Ivan Drago or whatever his name is. And then Ron Ron is just like, whatever. And then Hermione's like, whatever. And then they run away. I'm like, yeah, I just want to film without these kids. Can I have that? I think that's why I liked we saw them when we saw the musical Puffs. That's why I liked Puffs so much. Was I was like, oh good, I don't have to deal with those three annoying kids. I'm not even gonna dignify that with a response. Uh huh. Yeah, go right ahead. They're the, they they become the worst in this film. Also, I have a lot of problems with the everything from when Moaning Myrtle literally looks at Harry's dick onwards. Till the end of the mermaid scene, because I feel like Harry, slight slight egotism from Harry in that scene that no one's bringing up. What? Well, everyone's like, oh, he attempted to save multiple people. It's like, yeah, good for him. That means he didn't have faith in anybody else to save the other people. That means Harry, the big egotist, is like, oh, they can't do it. Only me, special boy Harry, can do this. Well, I mean, in the books, he literally watched the others get their people and go up to the surface, and he was like, hey, where's where's Floor? I don't see her. And he was waiting for a while for her to show up, and she never did. So finally, he was like, look, time's almost up. I gotta get these people to the surface, or they're gonna die. I mean, it's not confirmed that they would die. Like, that's not ever blatantly said. Because I don't think they were drowning. Because they would have been drowned by the time they got down there. There had to have been some spell rendered onto them. I feel like there was some kind of riddle or something that implied... I mean, I seriously doubt Dumbledore would have just stuck them down there and be like, if they can't get you too bad, you're going to die. Yeah. I, I doubt that would happen. But I think they tried to at least insinuate that if you couldn't recover your friend or sibling or person that you loved that they might not make it. Yeah, no, there's no way. But, you know, when you're 14 and stupid. Yeah, well, no, I love the idea that, like, there was supposed to be a spell cast on them, and they start diving them in, and then Dumbledore looks at Snape, just like, you did cast the spell that means they won't die in the water, right? And then Snape's like, um, yeah, totally. Definitely cast that spell. Absolutely. And then he just like dives in and is like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Also, can we bring up how boring that must have been to watch? Um, actually, literally every single one of them would have been the worst thing to watch. Because think about it. First one, I mean, if we're going to go off the theory that they were all avail- able to leave the playing field as Harry did... That means no one's going to see it. You get to see a dragon for like 10 seconds and then they leave. The second one, you're staring at water for like 20 minutes. And then in the third one, you look at a punk ass maze. Yeah, the second and third one, there's no spectator appeal to it. That first one, though, I really think Harry's was the only one that managed to get out of its chains. Because he had like the biggest, baddest one. Yeah. So, I mean, if any of them could break out of their chains, it'd be that one. And I do love that dragon because, like, I guess I guess it was kind of cool to know that you were fighting dragons beforehand, but really it was just telling Harry, if you get that one, you're fucked, Harry. 
Oh, okay, I'll make sure not to get that one. And then he got it. And then he gets it. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> Why me? Um, I will say this film might be the pinnacle of J.K. Rowling. Because I think she got a little bit egotistical with the last one. Because if I didn't already know that Wormtail was um, Mr. Whiskers or whatever the fuck that rat's name is. Scabbers. If I didn't, kn- if I didn't know that, that would have been a very cool, awesome twist. And I think she got a little egotistical, and this film just decided, I'm going to have twists at all at the end of all my books. And then she made it, like, I've never seen a twist that was so violently foreshadowed as this one was. <laughs> that was the laugh of, just wait, it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> because it's literally like, Oh, he's not got apple juice in that. Uh, or no, it's I, he doesn't have pumpkin juice in that flask. And then later they're like, Polyjuice Potion is missing. And then at the beginning of the film, it shows Barty Crouch. And then it show literally shows Mad-Eye Moody with, like, lightning shooting down, almost forming an arrow saying, this is the bad guy. And then, uh, and then J.K. was like, but hey, guys, guess what? That's actually Barty Crouch. No, 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 we knew. JK, we knew. No, 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 look, it's it's him. It's David Tennant. No, 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 we knew. We knew a long time ago, JK. Okay. I mean, it was kind of a twist in the book. I'm gonna go back. She's like, I'm gonna go back to my DuckTales coin pond that I can go swim in. Uh, now, I will say, God bless Voldemort. I love Voldemort more than I... Because, like, I always assumed, because I I had a lot of assumptions about this series going into it, that he was the generic ultimate bad guy who was just like, I will get you, Harry Potter, and you will die and shit. But no, he's kind of flamboyant. Like, there's a little <laughs> bit of real flair going on with uh, Voldemort that I really like. It it just gets better. The flair does. Yes. There's points after this where Harry starts like hallucinating that Voldemort's there and he's all dressed up in a snazzy suit. Oh man, that baby. I know. I know we've been together almost multiple years now and uh but that might turn me gay. I'm not going to lie. If I see if I see old Tom Ridd up there just like, "Hey boys." Da 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 da. And then he strips off the suit jacket to reveal, like, a pink sequined dress. And then he starts dancing for Harry. I'm like, yes. Go, Voldemort. Yeah, that's absolutely what happens. I mean, that's what I figured from the film and the way it was setting things up. I also like to think um, the concept of dropping him his weird naked body in that soup wasn't, like, something that had to be done. It was just Voldemort being like... Wait, wait, wait. I want to see if he'll do it. Take my naked body and put it in the soup. That's our that's our soup for later. Put it in the soup. Do it. Okay, fine. And then he goes and... Hi, I ruined your soup. Oh, fuck. Harry's here. You want a duel, bitch? Oh, dear. That was my favorite, too, was the duel. Because it's Voldemort... The ultimate bad guy of all time facing the one kid he could never kill. And he's like, I can kill you now. But how about I do you for it? Yeah, I mean, I guess he figured that just, you know, killing him point blank with him tied up was just too easy. And he wanted it to be a little bit more of a challenge. 
I don't know. He wanted to savor it. He wanted to put on a show is what he did. He was very much like, yes, let's do this, baby. Woo! Like, I feel like there was a deleted scene with him holding the wand above his head and, like, spinning it in circles. (laughs) Could be. (laughs) Could possibly be, yes. Oh, but you know what else could be, Emily? Hmm? We could be... Ah, the fuck, this is a bad transition. Anyways, patreon.com slash a load of BS. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, patreon.com slash a load of BS is the website where you can go and support all of your favorite BS network programs from a load of BS to fight boys to fun fiction itself. You get exclusive perks like access to our Discord. You get shouted out on the show of your choice every single week like our great fanatic Joe Gennaro. Huge shout out to you, Joe. Thank you for supporting the show. And if you want to join him, you can over at Patreon dot com slash a load of b s oh that was your first plug that you ever had to deal with okay okay well fuck you then fine (laughs) i'm proud of my plugs (laughs) oh but we've talked about the movie mostly i've talked about the movie and you quietly just listened (laughs) sorry i don't offer very good banter i'm new but it's now time to get into the fan fiction. And you haven't been here for this, but I'm sure you've come across the fan fiction My Immortal in the past. Uh, yeah, I've heard bits and pieces of it. Yeah, so uh, you're kind of starting in media res with us, with My Immortal, but I will say, um, man, there's not really a good description. Like, Harry's now an emo kid, and he's called a Vampire. And the main character, Ebony, or Anobi, as she misspells it, likes Draco and dates Draco, and she's got friends, and then she went to a Hot Topic, and Tom Riddle was working there, and they're going to a concert. Fuck, I don't know, babe. Like, it's bad. It Yeah, it sounded bad. As a matter of fact, I'm looking for a puke bucket right now. All right. Well, let's getting into the... Oh, my God. Wow. I, this is literally first sentence, and I can't read it. Oh, wait. Okay, I've got it. Chapter 17. Author's note. I said stop flame and destroy. If you're a prep, then do not read it. You can tell whether you're a prep or not by my quiz. <laughs> she offers a quiz for if you're a prep or not. I want to take the quiz. <laughs> Hold on. I, baby, I'm fairly sure this thing is not up anymore. Man. If you're not, then you're okay. If you are, then fuck oof. PZ, Willow isn't really a prep. Raven, please do this. I'll promise to give you back your poster. What? Ahem. Tom Riddle gave us some clothes and stuff for free. He said he would help us with makeup if we wanted, because he was really into fashion and stuff. He's bisexual. That tracks. That actually tracks really well. (laughs) Hargard... Hargrid kept shooting at us to come back to Hogwarts. What the fuck, Hargrid? I shouted angrily. Fuck off, you fucking bastard. Well, anyway, Willow came. Hargrid went away angrily. Hey, bitch, you look kawaii, she said. Yeah, but not as kawaii as you, I answered sadly, because Willow's really pretty and everything. She was wearing a short black corset thingy with blood-red lace on it, and a black blood-red miniskirt, leather fishnets, and black pointy boots that showed off how pale she was. She had a really nice body with big bobs and everything. Are you getting flashbacks to high school, Emily? 
unfortunately. She was thin enough to be anorexic. Okay, that's not fun, guys. Come on. So are you going to the concert with Draco? She asked. Yeah, I said happily. I'm going with Diablo, she answered happily. Well, anyway, Drake and Diablo came. I can't remember who Diablo was. It might just be some fucking third dude. They were both looking extremely hot and sexy, and you could tell they thought we were too. Diablo was wearing a black t-shirt that said 666 on it. Hell yeah, metal, dude. He was wearing tons of makeup, just like Marilyn Manson. Draco was wearing black leather pants, a gothic black good Charlotte t-shirt, and black vans he got from DeWarped Tower. Is that a baby? I know I didn't read the books, but is the is the warped tower of specific area of Hogwarts? Thank God, no. Bloody Mart was going to the concert. Oh, Bloody Mary was going to the concert with Dracula. Dracula used to be called Neville. <laughs> oh no, Neville's Dracula. But it turned out that he was kidnapped at birth, and his real family were vampires. They died in a car crash. Ne it's not saying Neville, by the way. It is saying Neville. Yes. They died in a car crash. Yeah. I think that's some kind of conspiracy theory. <laughs> Neville converted to Satanism and he went goth. He was in Slytherin now. That's not how that works. He was wearing a black worked t-shirt, black jeans and shoes, and black hair with red streaks in it. We call him Dracula now. Well, anyway, we all went to Draco's Black Mercy Bins. Mercy bins, get it, because we're gothic, that his dad Lucian gave him. We did pot coke and crack. Draco and I made out. We made fun of those stupid fucking preps. We soon got there. I gasped. Gerard was the sexiest guy ever. He locked even sexier than he did in pics. He had long raven black hair and piercing blue eyes. He was really skinny and he had an amazing, <laughs> an amazing ethnic voice. We moshed to Helena in some other songs. Suddenly, Gerard pulled off his mask. So did the other members. I gasped. It wasn't Gerard at all. He was an ugly preppy man with no nose and red eyes. Everyone ran away but me and Draco. Draco and I came. It was Vladimir and the Death Dealers. <laughs> the Death Dealers. You moronic idiots, he shouted angstily. Inobi, I told you to kill Vampire. Thou have failed, and now I shall kill thou and Draco. No, no, please, we begged sadly, but he took out his knife. Suddenly, a gothic old man flew in on his broomstick. He had long black hair and a long black bread. Long black bread. I don't even know what long black bread can mean. Like a baguette, maybe? Like... <laughs> He was wearing a black robe that said Avril Lavigne on the back. He shot at a spell and Voldemort ran away. It was Dumbledore. I really like that in this fantasy world, Hot Topic apparently sells wizard robes, but with Avril Lavigne shit on it. Chapter 18. I woke up the next day in my coffin. I walked out of it and put on some black eyeliner, black eye, uh, black eye shower, blood bl blood red lipstick, and black really low cut leather dress that was all ripped and in stripes so you could see my belly. I was wearing a skull belly ring with black and red diamonds inside of it. The night before, Draco and I went back to the skull. Get it? Because I'm gothic and I like death. The skull. Dumbledore chased Voldemort away. We flew there on our brooms. Mine was black and the broom stuff was blood red. There was lace all over it. Draco had a black MCR broom. We went back to our rooms and we had a you-know-what to a Linkin Park song. Well, anyway, I went down to the Great Hall. There were 
All the walls were painted black and the tables were black too. But you could see that there was black pink pant underneath the black pant. And there were pastors of poser bands everywhere like Ashley Simpson and the Blackstreet Boys. What the fuck? I shouted going to sit next to Bloody Mary and Willow. Bloody Mary was wearing a black leather mini with a good Charlotte t-shirt, black fishnets, and pointy black boots. Willow was wearing a long gothic black dress with blood red writing that was all lacy and came up to your thighs and black boots and fishnets. Vampire, Dracula, and Draco came. We started to talk about who was sexier, Mikey or Gerard Way or Billy Joe Armstrong. The boys joined in because they were bi. Those guys are so fucking hot, Naval was saying as suddenly a gothic old man with a black beard and everything came. He was the same one who had chased away Voldemort yesterday. He had normal tan skin, but he was wearing white foundation and he had dyed his hair black. Dumbledore? We all gasped. Why are they surprised? They saw him yesterday. <laughs> Hello, everyone. He's, oh, wait. Hello, everyone, he said happily. As you can see, I gave the room a makeover. What did you think about it? Everyone from the poser table in Gryffindor started to cheer. Well, we goths just looked at each other all disgusted and shook our heads. We couldn't believe what a poser he was. By the way, you can call me Albert. He called as we left to our classes. What a fucking poser! Draco shouted angrily as we left as we left to transmutation. We were holding hands. Vampire looked really jealous. I could see him crying blood in a gothic way. Get it? Like Gerard? Gothic way? Uh, uh, way, got. <laughs> but I didn't say anything. I bet he's having a midlife crisis, Willow. Sh- it's be- it's getting to a point where now I'm starting to put like the dumb inflection on words they actually spelled correctly. <clears throat> I bet he's having a midlife crisis, Willow shouted. I was so fucking angry. Chapter nineteen, and this chapter actually has a title for some reason, and it's "I'm Nut Okay, I Promise." All day, we sat angrily, thinking about Dumbledore. We were all so fucking pissed off. Well, I had one thing to look forward to, to MCR concert. It had been postponed so we could all go. Anyway, I went to the common room, sadly, to cut classes. Draco was being all secretive. I asked what it was, and he got all mad at me and started crying all hot and angsty. No one understands me, he shouted angrily as his black hair went in his big blue eyes like Billy Joe and Boulevard of Borkin' Dreams. <laughs> Boulevard of Borkin Dreams. Oh, that's not even the part I'm laughing at. He was wearing black baggy pants, a black MCR t-shirt, and a black tie. Oh, a black dye. Get it instead of tie, because I'm gothic. Oh, no. I was wearing a black leather low-cut top with chains all over it, and a black leather mini, black high-held boots, and a cross belly fling. My hair was all up in a messy, really high bun like Amy Lee and Gong Under. Accuse me? What about me? I growled. But, 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 he grunted. You fucking bastard, I moaned. No, wait, it's not what you fucking look like. It fucking looks like, he shouted. But it was too late. I knew what I heard. I ran to the bathroom angrily crying. Draco banged on the door. I whipped and whipped. I whipped, whipped and whipped as my bloody eyeliner streamed down my cheeks and made cool tears down my... (laughs) This was a misspelling, but I will read it as the author intended. Eyeliner streamed down my cheeks and made cool tears down my feces like Benji in the video for girls and boys. It physically hurts. <laughs> I took out a cigarette and started to smoke pot. Suddenly, Hargrid came. He had apparated. You gave me a fucking shock. That's the most British thing they've said in this whole thing. I shouted angrily, dropping my pot. 
What the fuck you think you're doing in the girls' room? Only it wasn't just Hargrid. Someone else with him was him with him too. For a second, I wanted to be Tom Ridd or maybe Draco, but it was Dumbledore. Hey, need you to ask need to ask you a question," he said, pulling out his black wannabe gothic purse. "What are you wearing to the concert? You know who MCR are?" I gasped. "No, I just saw there's a kid. <laughs> there was a concert that a lot of goths and punks were going to," he said. "Anyways, Draco has a surprise for you." Chapter twenty. All day I wondered what the surprise was. Meanwhile, I put on a black leather mini, a black corset with Urpal lace stuff all over it, and gla- black gothic compact compact boots. MCR were gong to do the concert again since Volsks and Mort had taken over the last ones. <laughs> Suddenly, someone knocked on the door while I was trying on some black clothes and moshing to fang you for the venom. I got all mad and turned it off, but sacredly I hopped inside it. It was Draco, so we could do it again. What the fucking hell are you doing? I shouted angrily. It was Lupin. Are you gonna come rape me or what? I yelled. I was allowed to say that because Dumbledore had told us to be careful around him since, and snap since he was a pedo. No, actually. Can I please borrow some condemns? <laughs> some condemns? He growled angrily. Yeah, so you can fuck your six-year-old girlfriend, huh? I shouted sarcastically. Man, the spelling... On this one has gotten away from her. Sarcastically is spelled with two Ks. Oh. And fucker in the next line does not have a C. Fucker, he said, gong away. Well, anyway, I put on some black eyeshadow, black eyeliner, and some black black lipstick and white foundation. Then I went. Then I gasped. Snake and Lupin were in the middle of the empty hall doing it, and Dobby was watching. Oh, it's like it's like that scene you were telling me about with the. Okay, fine. What the fuck is that? What you wanted condoms? I asked sadistically. Only you wouldn't given me. Lumpkin shouted angrily. Well, you should have told me. I replied. You dimwit! Snake began to shoot angrily, and then I took out my black camera and took a pic of Dim. You could see that they were naked and everything. Well, excuse me. They both shouted angrily. What was that all about? It was to blackmail you, I snarked. So now next time you see me doing it with my boyfriend, you can't fucking rap me out or I'll show this to Dumbledore. So fuck off, you bastards. I started to run. They chased me, but I threw my threw my wound at them and they tripped over it. Well, anyway, I went outside and there was Vampire looking extremely fucking hot. The fuck, where's Draco? I asked him. Oh, he's being a fucking bastard. He told me you wouldn't come. Now, come is spelled C-U-M. So I can understand why she's upset. <laughs> Vampire said, shaking his head, You want to come with me? Spelled the same way again. To the concert? Then he showed me his flying car. I gasped. It was a black car. He said his dog father, Sirius... Dog father, Sirius, S-E-R-I-U-S, black, B-L-A-K, had given it to him. The license plate on the front said MCR666 on it. The one on the back said Enobi on it. I gasped. We flew to the concert hall. MCR were there playing. Vampire and I began to make out, moshing to the music. I gasped, looking at the band. I almost had an organism. <laughs> oh, God. Gerard was so fucking hot, he began to sing Helena, and his sex a beautiful voice began to fill the hall, and then I heard some crying. I turned, and I saw Draco crying in a corner. Okay, it's almost over. <laughs> Chapter 21. <laughs> Later, we all went into the sc- went to the skull. Draco was crying in the common room. Draco, are you okay? I asked in a gothic voice. You just cheated on him. No, he's not. No, I'm not, you fucking bitch, he shouted angrily. He started to run out of the place in a suicidal way. I started to cry because I was afraid he would commit suicide. 
It's okay, Anobi, said Vampire comfortly. I'll make him feel better. You mean you go fuck him, won't you? I shouted angrily. Then I ran to get Draco. Vampire came too. Draco, please come! He began to cry. Tears of blood came down his pale face. I was so turned on because I love sensitive bi guys. And then we heard some footsteps. Vampire got out his black invisibility cloak. Now, if the invisibility cloak is black, it kind of defeats the purpose, Denobi, but okay. We both got under it. We saw the janitor, Mr. Norris, there shouting angrily with a flashlight in his hand. Who's there? He shouted angrily. We saw filth come. He went under the invisibility cloak and started to meow loudly. Is anyone there? Yelled Mr. Norris. No, fuck you, you preppy little poser son of a fucking bitch. Vampire said under his breath in a disgusted way. Excuse me. Excuse me. Who said that? Yelled Mr. Norris. Denny heard Filch meow. Filth, is there anyone under the cloak? He asked. Filth nodded. And then Vampire frenched me. He did it just as Mr. Norris was taken off the cloak. What the? He yelled, but it was too late now because we were running away from him. And then we saw Draco crying and busting into tears. <laughs> what the fuck? Draco, I cried. Are you okay? I mean, I know I just made out with a dude again, but it's fine. I guess, though. Draco weeped. We went back to our coffins, frenching each other. Draco and I decided to watch Lake Placid on the gothic red bed together. As I was about to put in the video, my eyes rolled up, and suddenly I had a vision of something that was happening now. There was a knock at the door, and Fug and mystery imagine. Fug! Fug! You don't minister, Fug! And the mystery of magic walked into the school. Chapter 22. All day everyone talked about the misery of magic. Well, anyway, I woke up the next day. I was in my coffin, so I opened the door. I was wearing black lacy leather pajamas. Ooh, God, la leather pajamas? That would be hot. Then I gasped. Standing in front of me were Bloody Mary, Vampire, Diablo, Dracula, Dracula, Draco, Dracula, and Willow. I opened my crimson eyes. Willow was wearing a tight black leather top with pictures of bloody roses all over it. Under that, she wore a poofy black skirt with lace on it and black gothic boots that was attached to the top. Vampire was wearing a baggy, simple, planned t-shirt and baggy black pants and vans. Draco was wearing a black... Okay, hold on. They're fucking all... It's, it's literally nothing but what they're wearing. They all got so depressed they became... Oh, wait, hold on. Um, there were more people. So were Crab and Goyle. It turns out that Darkness, who's Jenny Weasley, Diablo, Crab and Goyle's dad was a vampire. He committed suicide by slitting his wrist with a white razor. Shit. What the fuck? They all got so depressed they became gothic and converted to, sta converted to Stanism. Yeah, they support me. Grunkle Stan, it's fine. Oh my fucking god, I yelled as I jumped up. Why the fuck are you all here? Anobi, something's really fucked up, Draco said. Okay, but I need to put on my fucking clothes first, I shouted angrily. It's alright, we all have to go and you look so kawaii anyway. You're all so fucking beautiful, Draco said in a sexy voice. Oh, alright, I said, smiling. But you have to tell me why you're being all erective. I will, I will, he said. So I just put on some black eyeliner, black lipstick, and red eyeshadow, and white foundation. Then I came. Okay. We all went outside the great howl and looked in from a wid widow. A fucking prep called Brittany from Gryffindor was standing next to us. She was wearing a pink mini and a Hillary Duff t-shirt, so we put up our middle fingers at her. Inside the great hall, we could see Dumbledore. Cornelia Fudge was there shouting at Dumbledore. Doris Rumbridge was there, too. This cannot be, she shouted angrily. The school must be closed. The Bark Lord is planning to kill the students, yelled Cornelia Fudge. 
You are not fit to be the principal any longer, yelled Rumbridge. You are too old and your Alzheimer's is dangerous. You must retry or Voldemort will kill your students. Very well, Dumbledore said angrily. But we cannot do this. We can't close the school. There's only one person who is capable of killing Voldemort and she is in the school and her name is Anobi Darkness Dementia Raven Way. Draco, Crab, Coyle, Darkness, Willow, Vampire, and Bloody Mary looked at each other. I gasped. Whoa, there's how you write a twist, JK. <laughs> I mean, I never knew she would be the chosen one to actually defeat Voldemort. So that's mine, and I can tell you're stunned with how beautiful it is. No, I'm in, pa- I'm in physical pain right now. Okay, well, come on, one-up me then. What have you brought to the table? Okay. I couldn't read this entire thing. That's all right. That's half of the ones that Brenna used to pick out anyways. Um, it's called Capable Cedric by Right What Is Wrong. Okay, and with a name like Capable Cedric, this is there's no way this will have a depressing ending. I mean, it. I think it goes off what would have happened if Cedric didn't die. Oh, how the fuck did we get through this whole thing without not talking about that? But it, it's okay. R- read your thing. <laughs> Okay, um, Harry lowered his wand slightly and glanced sideways at Cedric. Cedric shot him a quizzical look. They both turned back to watch the approaching figure. It stopped beside a towering marble headstone, only six feet from them. For a second, Harry and Cedric and the short figure simply looked at one another. Then everything happened all at once. Harry screamed, his knees buckling and his wand slipping from his fingers as he brought his hands up to claw at his face. As Cedric caught him with one hand, wand immediately up and in a defensive position in the other, he heard a voice whose words he could not make out over Harry screaming. Then another shouting two horrifying syllables. Avad! That Cedric was an Auror's son and his father had lived through the Dark Lord's War. Any responsible parent who'd survived those times, his father swore, trained their children to not only recognize the opening syllables of the unforgivables, but to have their bodies begin to dodge before their minds could consciously choose to act. That training saved his life. As Cedric wrenched both himself and Harry out of the way, just as the night lit up in green light, Without thinking, he snapped out several nonverbal spells, only to swear under his breath as the hooded figure countered them. Whoever this was, he was no slouch. Only one thing saved him from being taken down himself, dragging a dead weight as he was, and that was the figure's bundled burden. He looked as though he'd prefer a much more mobile dueling style, but struggled not to fumble whatever it was he held under one arm. That meant Cedric's life would only end the second after he gave up his balancing act and managed to put it down. As another spell rang off his shield charm, Cedric managed to get Harry behind a large gravestone and dropped him there. The boy let out one last wretch of pain, then cracked his eyes open. Cedric, he groaned. Stay here, Cedric snapped as a reddish-purple bolt sent a chunk of rock flying from off the headstone's corner. I'll hold him off. As Harry tried to slur out a response, Cedric jumped from behind the stone and began sprinting perpendicular to the figure's line of sight. Fortunately, the assailant didn't seem bright enough to lead his target. 
Look at me, coward, he bellowed, slinging a nonverbal exploding curse for emphasis. I'm the one you want. In this game, a voice hissed from the bundle. The bundle? That was no baby. Kill him, then take Potter. Oh, lovely. Someone actually was out to kill Harry. Despite the unconscious portion of Cedric's mind, keeping the barrage of spells and counterspells, the conscious portion deeply appreciated being an incidental casualty in somebody else's story. Not. His seeker's vision caught sight of a short, straight stick on the ground amid the strobing flashes of many colors, and his seeker's reflexes allowed him to hit the ground rolling, grab it, and spring back up without ever pausing in his mindless chains of spells. Harry, he bellowed, swinging back one arm. Catch. The figure's head turned to follow it, wand instinctively rising to divert its path, and earned a bloody, burning wound to his shoulder for his trouble. Cursing, he returned his attention to Cedric, just before another spell would have impacted his chest, and the wand reached its destination unhindered. Out of the corner of his eye, Cedric glimpsed a hand coming up to grab it, and grinned. Say what people would about Quidditch being a waste of time, for anyone not be not going professional after school, but there was nothing like a seeker's skill. Cedric, you're right! Cedric's gaze snapped right, and time seemed to slow to a crawl. A monstrous snake, as big around as a strong man's thigh, reared up beside him, hood flaring and fangs glistening with venom. As he dodged back, a stunner rocketed out from his left and hit it squarely in the mouth, knocking it back for the instant he needed. Its fangs sliced through the sleeve of his robe, but it did not find his arm. He had no time to rejoice, however, because a purplish-black spell was heading straight for him. As desperately as though he saw a bludger heading for his skull with his hand an inch from the snitch, he twisted his torso to dodge, but it brushed him as it passed, and his skin split open like an overripe fruit. A scream rang out, so loud and so piercing that he barely knew it was his own. Dizzy with the pain, he stumbled towards another row of gravestones, his legs moving on their own, and dove behind an angel-riddled headstone just as a blasting curse rumbled past his ear. A quick wand movement and babbled incantation slowed the spread even as subcutaneous fat crawled out of the wound and split muscle fibers reached writhing into the air. Some dim recollection of his newt defense told him that he ought to be grateful because he would have been better off cutting the arm off himself if the curse had done more than brush him. It was very hard to be grateful. He jerked his head up as a curse rattled the gravestone, dust and pieces of rock flying into the air, and blindly swung a cutting curse in the direction of a curving cylindrical silhouette. It recoiled again, but as he glimpsed its hide in the light of another spell, he saw its scales were not even chipped. Swearing, he ducked back, nearly retching with the pain as he brushed his bad arm and wove his best protective charm while he was still behind cover. At least that would buy him a few mistakes worth of margin if he was forced out from behind the crumbling stone. From this, from his position, he saw the snake being lifted up and hurled into a tree. Unfortunately, it immediately regained its bearings and began slithering down. But at least Harry had again narrowed this down to a duel on one front for a short time. As the figure swung around to focus on Harry, Cedric took advantage of the distraction to transfigure two adjacent gravestones into dogs. He silently apologized to those whose graves he defiled and sent them charging at the enemy. He had the dumb luck to have an opponent with a 
crippling phobia of dogs. At least that was his only conclusion as the figure let out a scream of mortal terror and turned tail, running as though hellhounds were after him. The dogs growled as they gave chase, which made him start crying and pleading for them to have mercy. For one idiotic moment, Cedric was struck dumb by the sight, then regained his senses and sent a curse at the fleeing figure's back. Fortunately, he dodged. Even more unfortunately, the, then the bundle, whatever it was, brought the figure to his senses. Wormtail, it snarled. Wormtail, you fool! Stand and fight! The figure, Wormtail, darted a glance over his shoulder and then inexplicably yelled, Hey, you're not serious. Cedric was extremely serious, but that didn't help as Wormtail swerved his wand through a complicated pattern and Cedric's transfiguration gave way. With the last of his control, he canceled the transfiguration as the dogs turned around, snarling, and began to grow scales and wings. That left Wormtail with winged, scaly headstones, and he swore that and he swore and banished them in Cedric's direction. One cracked his cover in two, and the other m messed his hair up as he dodged, just barely in time. Well, so much for that. As he got up and ran, Harry landed a successful dis disarming on Wormtail. But the man snatched his wand out of the air as it began to fly away and dodged Cedric and Harry's incoming hexes to boot. And the snake, the snake, his world lit up on, in fire. Cedric mindlessly screamed as the back of his thigh came open. He fell to the ground, writhing as lifeblood splurted into the cold night air, and a thick muscular mass slithered over his helpless back. He knew instinctively its fangs would next sink into the exposed, pitifully vulnerable back of his neck. He couldn't move. He couldn't. Out of the corner, out of the corner of his eye, he saw Wormtail begin another spell barrage. Accio snake. Suddenly, the weight was off him, and Cedric watched, disbelieving, as the enormous serpent flew precisely into the line of fire. For one stunned moment, he watched as curse after curse impacted the great sinuous mass and then his survival instinct ki instinct kicked in he twisted about and tried to seal the wound on his leg unthinkingly aware from the rhythmic spurts of blood that it had opened the major artery but would not but it would not close the terrible venom spreading through his leg would not allow it to close in his closing moment of consciousness he cast the emergency tourniquet charm and gave a wheezing gasp as all sensation in his leg was cinched off darkness took his vision and then he gasped heart stuttering as the second wind kicked in it felt as though his entire body was burning he'd only heard about this from his father and their friends and ours last hope the surge of magic that kept a witch or wizard going when they would when they should have been no longer able to function yet remained in mortal danger. To an admiring boy, that had seemed so wonderful and incredible. He'd fantasized about growing up, following in his father's footsteps as an auror, and then getting into a daring battle in which he was wounded unto death, but came roaring back just in time to beat the bad guy. In reality, it warred with the Cruciatus for the worst sensation he'd ever felt in his life. He burned and froze, sweat beating on his forehead and trickling down clammy skin. His wand shook uncontrollably as he raised his arm, his, eye, his eyes wide and barely seeing. They focused on Wormtail, and he 
opened his dry mouth, his mind too incoherent to manage nonverbal spells. And for his final chain of spells, the man standing frozen in horror as the bundle screamed at him for the injury of the snake. Wormtail came back to himself in time to dodge, but he dodged straight into Harry's chain of jinxes. At least someone knew how to lead a target. As he crumpled, Cedric saw Harry come running out from cover and turn towards him. He flailed with his wand in Wormtail's direction, and Harry stopped, nodded, and ran that way. No use letting him get up. Not after this. Cedric smiled woozily at the snake, despite himself. Look at them. After it had taken Wormtail's curses, it was in as bad a shape as he was. Burst open, bleeding, broken, and yet somehow still alive. Still struggling to move, just like him. That seemed very funny. He began to giggle, but that stopped as he reached behind him, and he tried to do something more about his leg. Oh, that really wasn't good. Look at all that blood. That was probably why he was feeling so funny, and it still wouldn't close. As soon as he tried to seal it with his wand, it split right back open. That probably made it good that he couldn't feel the leg anymore. That really did look bad. A piercing scream made him look up, and he saw Harry bent over Wormtail, raising his hand and bringing it down repeatedly. Something gleamed in the darkness. The bundle was screaming, too. Then Harry brought his hand down again. It was more of a gurgle than a scream. Then Harry stood up, flicked his wand, and came running over to Cedric with Wormtail and the bundle floating behind him. He had good sense to skirt the snake, at least. When Cedric turned his eyes, half blindly, to the dripping knife in Harry's hand, the boy flinched. Animagus, no choice, he said quickly, shaking his head. Spells he can transform out from under physical injuries? Stay. I. He caught the back of Cedric's leg, and his eyes widened. Cedric, Cedric, help me up, Cedric croaked. The terrible knowledge of one, the one last effort he must make settling upon him. You, you shouldn't put any weight on that, Harry babbled, dropping to his knees and casting basic Quidditch first aid spells on the injury. As with Cedric's own efforts, it did nothing. But it was evident, even to the half-conscious Cedric, that he didn't know what else to do. Help me up. I have to stand for this. Hyperventilating, Harry complied, his every muscle screaming. Cedric forced his good leg to stand and kept the bad arm on around Harry's shoulders, gripping onto a headstone with his good one to stay upright. Bring them over. Need Wormtail's ankle, at least. We've got to take them. They... Custody. His knee buckled, and he felt Harry stumbling as the boy tried to keep him upright. Yes, Cedric. Right, Cedric. Harry gasped, and a moment later, he had Wormtail's foot being shoved into his hand. When he looked over, he saw the bundle laying against the incapacitated, wounded man's chest. Good enough. Cedric closed his eyes, struggling to retain consciousness as he, as he focused on the image of the hidden St. Mungo's emergency appar apparition area for horrors and dark arts victims in critical condition. His father had brought him there as soon as he earned his license so that he might impress it upon his mind, just in case, and turned on the spot with a sickening lurch, the world vanishing just as his good leg gave out beneath him. With a horrible wrenching sensation comparable to the cruciatus, he was gone and the world rushed in around him in, in, in a blur of white walls and bright lamps. Somewhere there was a scream. It couldn't be him, because he was struggling not to vomit as the world spun around him. Help him! Help Cedric! He heard Harry begging, far, far away. He became aware of the room growing darker despite the bright lights. 
and shifted on his feet as he tried to figure out why. His foot slipped on a puddle he didn't realize was there, and as he fell, the answer came to him. The clumsy apparition had torn the emergency tourniquet charm loose, and even his magic could, do no, could no longer support him. Darkness claimed him before he hit the ground. Okay, there's like a break there, so I'm done. Okay, good. Oh, baby. I like it was like watching an engine rev up because of the beginning it was like, okay, I'm just going to go and then as you start you started to get it as you went on. So that was fun to watch. It's hard for me to read out loud because my eyes go 3 times faster than my mouth can. So I have to be very careful and deliberate. Also, just there's stumble over my words. There's a baby in you that was just like, "Shut up! We yeah. need to sleep." Yeah, yeah. I was trying not to like hiccup and just do all the gross pregnancy things that my body makes me do. It's all right. That's why I have the edit function. All right, but if people want to support that baby, they can by picking up merch at merch.aloadofpurebs.com. That's right. That's where you can get merch for all your favorite BS Network programs from A Load of BS Has It, Fun Fiction, Opposite Attractions. We all got merch available at merch.aloadofpurebs.com, including the brand new Fun Fiction logo shirt. Since this is now a brand new channel with brand new stuff, I decided to get us a brand new logo, and you can get it on a shirt at merch.aloadofpurebs.com, and it will support a baby who will be clothed in like exclusively merch.aloadofpurebs.com onesies. So I need to get those on the website. Anyways. Um, we're going long as it is right now, so let's just get, get into mine. I forced you to listen to all the older episodes. You'd be caught up on the adventures of snails. Uh, of course, last time we saw him, we saw that, um, we saw that he found out that his father was a dark lord, and all of the letters that he'd been receiving from his father were actually written by his mother, and last thing we heard from him was that he wasn't talking to his parents and he was very upset so let's hear how he approaches the year year four in hogwarts i need to tell you about your father it was weird to hear mom speaking again i mean in the beginning she spoke a lot she desperately tried to get some sort of answer from me but i remained quiet after lying to me about my father for so long i didn't know if i could trust her but I knew I had to get answers, especially after seeing what she had in her hand. It was a newspaper with the headlines, Death Eaters Return at Quidditch World Cup. The headline was massive, stretching across the whole top of the page. Below it was a picture of a massive dark mark in the sky, a glowing skull sporting a slithering serpent wrapping around its outside. That damn mark certainly didn't help Slytherin's PR problem. Mom handed me the tome, and I read about the return of Voldemort's army during the World Cup, how they decimated the playing field until the Ministry scared them away. So what? Dad's back, I'm assuming? I respond sarcastically. The first words I had spoken to her in months. I... I don't know. She responded, grabbing back the paper and folding it up. She hid the paper behind her as she looked down at her interlocked hands. I just... I need you to know what happened the day your father left. He was acting strange, Samuel. He had been in communication with the Malfoys and a few other men who eventually were confirmed to be Death Eaters, and he told me he had to go. A mission to complete that was greater than anything, including his family. Yeah, figured as much. Dad doesn't care, leaves, becomes a Dark Lord. It's a common story, I'm sure. I respond with that same calculated coldness that I had practiced all summer. Mom attempted to continue her tale, but I was done. 
already knew Dad was a bastard. She didn't have to tell me how much of one he was. I hate to say it, but I can't wait to get back to Hogwarts. If I could find any answers about my father, it'd be there. Unfortunately, due to Mom, getting back to school would be harder than I previously expected. She managed to snag my return letter and train ticket away from Bertram before I could get to it and hid it away. She tried to act like he hadn't came yet, but the living room smelled like scotch and old cigars. I know when that damn bird's been here. I'm sure she meant well trying to keep me safe with the return of the Death Eaters, but Hogwarts was my home. I knew I had to find a way back, and unfortunately that meant doing the same thing to my mother that my father did so many years ago. One night I waited until bed and quietly snuck out of my room. I nervously crept into my mother's cramped bedroom and began ruffling through her bedside table until I found what I needed. I smiled as I grabbed my ticket, then rushed back to my room to pack my bags. I hate to think about mom, what mom would think when she woke up to find my room empty the next day. Getting to King's Cross was a bit awkward, dealing with weird people that I met while making my way there, but to be fair, I'm sure they thought the weird one was the 15-year-old boy hitchhiking in the middle of the night. The rest of the travel was normal. I'd done this every year for four years now. Sure, I'd have to skip down to Hogsmeade to buy a few supplies with the very limited money I had, but I was back at school and ready to learn what really happened to my father. And then we have a time skip a little bit further. Something's up with Moody. Nothing I can prove, but just something I, I feel, you know? It doesn't help that the man's a bigger jerk than Malfoy and is teaching forbidden curses to his students. Something's just off about the guy. That fact was solidified after class today. I'd been studying the Death Eaters for a few weeks now, earning myself a few strange looks from classmates, but it did get me a bit of information about a place where I could possibly find my father. Mad-Eye Moody, I need your help! I called out to the bizarre man after one of our Defense Against the Dark Arts classes. He turned to me with a flourish that froze me in my tracks. He had his wand pointed directly at my head. What's your name, boy? He responded, his tongue quickly lapping at his lips in quick succession. I meekly responded, Samuel Nail, sir. I squeaked out, causing him to lower his wand and continue staring at me. Nails? He smirks and begins to guffaw. Like, wait, wait, like, like Gregory Nails. Yes? Yes, sir. I respond, still shaking, but less with fear and more with anger. The shame of Slytherin, Gregory Nails. He continued to laugh in my face until I finally belted back at him. Yes, and he's in Azkaban. Tell me how to get to Azkaban so I can get out of here. I yelled out, causing him to stop laughing. He blinked at me for a few moments, tongue still doing that weird flicking motion. He holds back a small chuckle as he points his wand to my throat. Azkaban. He smiles as he looks down at my robe, tracing his wand down to the Slytherin crest adorning my front. You want him to Azkaban? Ah, don't worry, you're a Slytherin. Give it time. I held back blind fury as I quickly shoved his wand away from me and turned to leave the classroom, hearing his laughs echo behind me. I gave one last look before I left, turning to see him slowly approaching his potions chest and quickly rummaging through it. He quickly downed a gulp of something before stowing the rest of it in his flask. His body began shaking for a moment before returning to its normal shape. He looked at me with that same terrifying smile and then bid me adieu. Weird. I stayed awake that night, thinking about that potion. I had to know what it was, because clearly it wasn't just some butterbeer or something. I've seen him drinking out of that flask every time I see him. After a few more hours of insomniatic wondering, I finally caved and began to bolt out the door when I felt a hand grab me by the sleeve. M Mr. Nail, sir? It was Crumbles, 
a house elf once belonging to my family that's taken the guise of Trey Monarch, a fellow student at Hogwarts. I look over to his bed to see it empty, with his other two house elf compatriots sleeping in a dresser. What are you doing up so late, sir? I... I thought about breaking into Moody's classroom myself, but then I realized how quickly getting caught would get me expelled. Then I'd find out nothing about my father and be forced to answer to my mother. I looked at Crumbles with a smile. Crumbles... I need your help. What? Don't act like you wouldn't have done the same. Plus, he's a house elf. He's got some special powers that would make it a cinch to grab those potions. At least, I I thought he did until I heard the sounds of screams and running coming through the hallway outside. I quickly jumped up to see Crumbles dashing through the hallway being chased by Filch. I'm not gonna lie, I had to stifle the laugh when I heard something clinking at my feet. I looked down to see the potion. He had done it. I quickly rushed back into bed and laid down with a smile, pocketing the potion. I felt like a real wizard, a real hero. With this potion, I could expose Mad-Eye Moody for whatever beast he was and earn points for my house. I went to sleep dreaming of glory. When I awoke the next day, Crumbles and his crew weren't asleep in their bed anymore. Maybe they just woke up early? I looked over to see the entire dresser pulled apart, drawers sitting on the ground. Damn it. I quickly rushed through the hallways to see Snape ordering guards to quickly take away the three house elves who were violently fighting against their restraints. I loudly called for Severus, who turned towards me with a whoosh of his cape and a massive frown, radiating malice towards me. This had better be good, Mr. Nails. He responded in his deep, booming voice. I... uh, The guards had stopped as well. Crumbles looked at me with deep, sad eyes as I looked up at Snape. I need your help. I found this potion in Mad-Eye Moody's class, and I think it's what he's been drinking all day out of that flask. It's extremely suspicious, sir. Very well. Guards, take them away, Snape commented with a flourish. The other two house elves began quickly trying to escape once again, thrashing about, but Crumbles just kept staring at me, his eyes filling with a sense of betrayal. He... Look, he just didn't understand. I was doing the right thing here. I had to stop Mad-Eye Moody. Polyjuice potion, Snape commented quietly as he led me back to his potions cabinet. An extremely powerful brew that will allow anyone to take on the shape of another. Wait, so you're saying that Mad-Eye Moody isn't Mad-Eye Moody? I respond, confused. But who would want to be Mad-Eye Moody? Have you seen the guy? Nails, calm down. Rest assured, whoever is posing as Moody will be brought to justice. I just need time to figure that out. Snape responded with a groan as he quickly begins to shove me back out into the hallway. Before he shut the door, however, he turned back to me with the closest thing to a smile he could muster. Good work today, Samuel. Ten points to Slytherin. I... I did it. I did it. I saved Hogwarts from... something. I mean, it may not have been a massive snake or some evil Dark Lord, but I saved Hogwarts. It was time to celebrate. And what a day to celebrate it was, as it was the final trial in the Triwizard Tournament. I hadn't paid attention to it much that year, but I knew Harry found his way in, and that was pretty impressive. Youngest kid to ever be in the tournament, I heard. Everyone in Slytherin House was wearing badges denouncing him, but after actually meeting him, I'm not gonna lie, I, I was rooting for Harry. I'm not exactly sure what I was rooting for Harry in, however. Usually in sports or tournaments with huge crowds, it benefits to actually be able to see what's going on, but the Triwizard Tournament was apparently not great at that. 
as the first trial took place in a dragon pit, and the competitors flew around outside the arena. The second trial took place completely underwater, and this third trial... Well, it was in a massive maze. No cameras, no magical ways to see what's going on, nothing. I'm just staring at this massive hedge. Eventually, however, a massive blue light erupted from the middle of the maze, and everyone began to cheer madly. Someone had won! The maze quickly began to dissipate, and when it did, the winner was clear. It was Harry! Or, wait, maybe it was Cedric Diggory. They both had their hands on the cup, so at least the victor would be from Hogwarts. We just wanted to know the true winner. Unfortunately, the truth was going to be the last thing we wanted to hear. Cedric Diggory was dead. Voldemort had returned, and the world had turned upside down. The entire arena turned eerily silent. It was a horrifying sight to be in the presence of nearly 2,000 people, all of them completely silent. Eventually, a sound did erupt. A horrifying wail from the center of the stadium. It was Cedric's father, mourning the death of his son. I tried to do anything to get my mind off of that horrifying sight, a dead body strewn in a field. I locked myself in the library, once again attempting to research the Death Eaters, but I couldn't focus. Everything was blurry and hazy. Any thoughts that my mind had seemed to be clouded by this dark unclarity that I'm sure went through most of Hogwarts students' minds that day. We had won the Triwizard Cup, but at what cost? Hey, a voice quietly comments. I looked up to see Joshua Oak standing in the doorway of the library. His eyes were puffy and red, still watery from tears. A stray tear streams down his cheek as the Hufflepuff gently rubs it away before sitting down next to me. I quickly hide away my books on the Death Eaters as I attempt to formulate a response. Hey, how you doing? I knew this was a dumb question. He was a Hufflepuff, and Cedric Diggory was one of the greatest students that house had ever seen. They had lost their brother that day. Joshua didn't dignify me with a response, instead opting to begin sobbing once again. I nervously moved towards him on the couch and attempt to hold him, letting him cry into my shoulder. I... I celebrated with him, Sam. He finally comments after a lengthy silence. I celebrated with him when he put his name in that damn goblet. I celebrated the moment that he solidified his death. I... I... Josh, you couldn't have known what was going to happen. I tried to calm him down, but he kept stammering over and over. Josh, listen to me. No, no, no. I, no, I can't. I, I, I can't forgive myself. I, I let it happen. I let it happen, Sam. I, I could have stopped him, but no, I encouraged him. He kept ranting, growing louder and louder. Joshua was having a full-blown panic attack before my eyes, and it killed me that I couldn't stop it. I said, no, 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 go ahead, Cedric. You can do it. I'll bet if anyone can do it, it's going to be you. Cedric Diggory, the greatest... Joshua was suddenly silent. So was I. Our hearts were both beating a thousand beats per minute as I finally found a way to stop him from speaking. Our lips slowly came apart as we were both shaking. I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. This was crazy. I try to catch my breath as I continue staring down at Joshua's lips, those lips that were against mine just moments ago. I look up to him and I see that he has the same look on his face as I do, a bizarre mix of fear, panic, and complete and utter joy. I tried to run, but he wouldn't let me. He grabbed me by the hand and pulled me back down onto that couch, and then he kept holding my hand. 
I laughed as I felt him not release me, and I pulled him close once again. I mean, there was a one in a billion shot of this actually working out, but I'm happy I live in the universe where it did, because in that moment, with Joshua gripping my hand, it didn't matter who my father was. It didn't matter that Voldemort had returned. I knew we would make it. I knew we would make it. And that is to be continued. I like yours better than the one I had to read. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I mean, that had the touch of an actual published author on it. Just <laughs> Casually flexing in the corner now. Plus, you're better at reading out loud. It's okay. Quit. Don't put... Don't do this. <laughs> um, but, Emily, it was lovely having you on as a guest. I did what I could. <laughs> do you have places online where you want people to find you? Or are you like uh, Hagrid just out in your hut with dragons and you're like, no one come find me. It's okay. I'm, I'm pretty much like Hagrid. Okay, so I no don't have anything I'm advertising, and this I don't I don't do much. No one look for Emily. You can find the find her on my Twitter though at Scotty Mo S E O T T Y E M O. You can buy all my books on Amazon, the Quizzle Corp trilogy B S versus the Gods. Check that out. Check out all the other shows at a load of pure B S dot. Come, ladies and gentlemen, and remember to support either on Patreon, picking up some merch at merch.loadofpurebs.com, or help yourself to a free audiobook. Go to audibletrial.com slash bsnetwork. You can pick you up a free 30-day trial of Audible where you can get a free audiobook. You can get one of mine on there, or if there's a book you've been looking at and you don't know if you want to pick it up, get a free audiobook. That way you know what it's about. It supports us. You get something for free. It's a win-win. It's awesome. And of course, remember to send in any fan fiction you want. It may get read on the channel someday, but especially send in fan fiction for Stardew Valley, which I don't know how much of that exists, but that is because next week I'm getting joined by my uh, hetero life mate, Blake Tanner, as we talk about his favorite video game, Stardew Valley. So check that out. Uh, Check out all of the older episodes on a load of pure BS dot com uh subscribe on youtube rate comment do all of that fantastic stuff but until next time emily hmm? oh wait you don't uh, this is sad because i don't have brenna would no Just... i don't know what brenna would do i'm sorry i'm following your lead well brenna would always stay away from baby hitler <laughs>